Words We Live By, the podcast, is a production of the Seattle Army Recruiting Battalion. If you're looking for stable income, a new career path, or a career change, consider the U.S. Army. Learn more by following us at Go Army Seattle. Hello and welcome to Words We Live By. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Saxon. I want you to think back to someone in your life who you consider to be a true leader. My experience with the great leaders in my life comes from moments when they give of themselves for someone else. Yep, you guessed it. We're talking about selfless service this episode. I get to talk with John Troxell. He served as the third SEAC and is a retired U.S. Army Sergeant Major. SEAC is a pretty big deal. We'll get into that in the episode. What I took away from my conversation with John is that he's someone who takes care of other people. It's not just leaders eat last. It's how are my soldiers doing? What can I do to help them be their best? That is the big energy that John Troxell brings. John Troxell, thank you for being with us here today. Tell me about yourself. Who are you? Well, first, it's an honor to be here today and to be on this podcast. But uh, my name is SEAC uh, retired John Wayne Troxell. And a lot of people don't understand what the rank and title SEAC means. I was a, an Army soldier for 37 years, 10 months, and 29 days. Not that I was counting, but my wife was counting um, and re was reminding me all the time, you know, that, uh, hey, you know, it's time to do something else here pretty soon. And uh, I rose to the, the rank and title of Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of Defense, better known as the SEAC. A very new position since 2005, and uh, um, I'm the third one to hold this position. The SEAC's responsibilities is to provide best military advice and the pulse of the force for the entire force, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard, to the chairman and SECDEF. And uh, I grew up in Davenport, Iowa, joined right out of high school, and uh, just recently retired about a year ago. And in the year since, I'm, uh, I've opened my own consulting company and I serve as a consultant or brand ambassador or strategic advisor to nine different businesses. And wow. I'm a happily married man, as I said, of 37 years to my wife, Sandra. We have three adult children, all married, and we have four grandchildren. And we live in Lakewood, Washington. <laughs> wow. Tell me again, John, how many years did you serve? One month shy of 38. Wow. Thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. When you, when you joined, what year was it? 1982. And did you know that you were going to serve until you retired? No, I grew up in a, a town called Davenport, Iowa. And I was a uh, mediocre at best athlete. Um, little better student, but not, uh, you know, an honor roll kind of person. And I lack purpose, motivation, and direction. I had a loving uh, home that I grew up in with wonderful parents, 
you know, wonderful siblings. But I, I, I lacked, you know, inspiration and purpose, motivation and direction. And my brother joined the military. And when he left and came back from his recruit training and his, his advanced individual training, he was a different person. He came back, his head was held high. He spoke confidently. He was uh, sure of himself. He was sinewy muscular. I mean, he was, he, joining the army transformed him. And then a couple of his friends that were a little older than me joined the Marine Corps and the army. And they came back and they were the same way. And all of a sudden seeing these highly motivated, confident, head held high, sinewy muscular friends that I grew up with come back transformed into these warriors, it, it was contagious to me. And I said, I want to be a part of that. And so I joined the military and uh, <clears throat> it was everything I thought it was going to be, except it was hard for me. I was looking for that inspirational kind of person that can be a mentor. And at the time in 1982, we were in the embryonic stages of professionalizing the non-commissioned officer corps uh, education system. And so the non-commissioned officers that I had were Vietnam veterans, gallant warriors and uh, good people, but they weren't the professionalized NCOs that you see today that are manning our recruiting stations around uh, the United States and serving in uh, operational units. And about three years in, I met a guy by the name of Charles B. DeRosa. He was my first sergeant in Germany. He was a Korean War veteran and a Vietnam veteran. And I found that inspiration. It was someone that led through their example and uh, was inspiring in how they spoke and, and, and their demeanor and everything. And I said, that's the guy I want to be like. And then as my first enlistment was about up, I wanted to re-enlist and do something bigger. And so I joined the paratroops and went to the 82nd Airborne Division. And I just absolutely found my calling. And I uh, graduated ranger school. I graduated uh, pathfinder school and jump master school. And that was kind of the launch point for my career where I focused on being the best that I could be every day and doing the best that I could be uh, do. And then as a leader, providing that same example to those coming behind me that Charles B. DeRosa showed me uh, years earlier when I was a young troop. And that's how I kind of focused on how I was doing things. And you know what else? I learned at a young age that if you, if you show up on time, you do what you're told, you have a great attitude, good things are gonna happen for you. And I got promoted to E3, I was newly married, had a baby on the way and I saw the pay raise from E2 to E3 and I said, this is all I got to do to get promoted? And that was the focus I had for the rest of my career. And fortunately for me, you know, I was blessed to be able to continue to move up through the ranks. I started off as a battalion level command sergeant major and culminated as the SEAC over that 20 years that I served as a command sergeant major. You know, I'm, and that's just a summary of your career. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So I heard that when you met this leader, and it was, you know, three years into service, it was almost like you got reignited again from, you know, when you saw your brother come back and his friends come back. And that, that fire that was alive of you was just 
present again. And you, you met this man and you're like, wow, that's who I want to be. And then who did you become as a leader? Who were you for other people? Well, I, uh, I, one, I wanted to show that I would not ask any subordinates of mine to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And so I led through my example, the way I looked, the way I acted, the way I talked and the way I performed. I wanted the people that worked for me to look no further than me to know what right looked like. And so I tried to be that person through demonstrated example that uh, inspired those below me. I, my whole career, I wanted people to be excited about coming to work. Like I was excited with uh, First Sergeant Charles B. DeRosa and then how I was excited being a paratrooper in, in the 82nd Airborne Division. Every day I couldn't wait to come to work. And then sometimes on Friday night, I would, you know, be like, darn, it's going to be two days before I can put this maroon beret on him and be a paratrooper here and put my uniform on. So I wanted to create an environment where people could learn, grow, and develop and reach their untapped potential. What had you want to be that? Why? Because I wanted to challenge myself every day. Uh, and I wanted, you know, I had seen people. So I, I'll give you an example. When I was my, one of my first duty stations in Germany, I came in all fired up. I was, uh, you know, ready to get after business, but I had some leaders, like for instance, we'd be walking across a parade field uh, to head to formation. And I would say, hey, you know, I was a young E3 then. And I would tell my squad leader, hey, Sergeant, why don't we just drop down here on the parade field, the American flags, let's do 50 push-ups." And he'd be like, oh no, we, we, I ain't doing that. Uh, you know, you know, I was just, you know, I was always energetic and I wanted to get after uh, being the best that I could be. And I wanted to be a part of something larger than myself. And until DeRosa, I, I ran into DeRosa and started working for him. Those before him were not providing that inspiration. They weren't bad people. They just, uh, had kind of uh, relegated themselves to, I want to make sure I show up to work tomorrow on time, and then I'll go home on time. And there was not a lot of in-between of teaching, coaching, mentoring, and providing that inspirational leadership that I was seeking. So when that opportunity came for me, I said, I'm going to make sure that my leader or my subordinates will not look elsewhere for that kind of mentorship or that kind of inspiration. I wanted to be that one that they would come to me with their problems, come to me with advice or for advice. And in the end, they were excited about being on the team that I had the privilege of leading. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing that De La Rosa yeah. made a difference for you. Like Absolutely. inspiration was alive and around him, anything was possible. And you know what else, Candace? He was the first person in my career to bring me into his office and tell me, you know, I think you're a pretty good soldier and you're doing good things. It was the first positive feedback I had received. And this was on my second year in the military. I, the only kind of feedback I was getting was butt chewings if I did something wrong, you know? There was so, when, when you're in that kind of environment, it's not a toxic environment, but uh, 
there's not a lot of positivity in it, it can create confusion in you. Am I doing a good job? Am I doing what's expected of me? And, you know, if all the feedback you're getting is negative, you, you could, that could really affect your morale. And that can be a buzzkill when you're trying to reach your untapped potential and trying to be fired up and motivated every day. When you're around people that are just like, you know, the only kind of feedback you're going to get is negative. And until um, DeRosa brought me into that office and said, keep doing what you're doing. You are one of the best soldiers in this company. You got a bright future ahead of you. And when he told me that, I walked out of that office and I said, man, I can conquer the world right now. I am so fired up from the floor up. I'm ready to go out and do whatever I need to do to keep excelling. You know, that empowering context really makes a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could see that who you were, you know, once you became a, a leader was someone who left others empowered, you know, or, or saw them bigger than they could see themselves because so many of us, you know, there is that confusion going on, but then someone sees you bigger than you see yourself. And you're like, you know, there's this, uh, it like maybe you you might have sensations, you know, you might light up and you just being empowered by someone will leave you taking actions in your life that you otherwise would not have taken. When someone leaves me disempowered, I shut down. It doesn't work. And so now what I've learned to do is be around people who leave me empowered and then notice where I'm disempowered. And then I just say something about it because, you know, most people have just had a lot of disempowering context in their life. Absolutely. And, you know, I think all of that boils down to trust. And, um, and there has to be demonstrated trust between the leader and the led. And uh, so the leader has to trust the subordinates. And how does he develop trust? Through training, through education, and some kind of, it uh, doesn't have to be formal, but informal certification that demonstrates that the person that you're leading understands what their role is and their mission is. And then the trust has to be into the subordinates that the leader is going to be there for them. It's going to underwrite honest mistakes, is going to continue to uh, provide an environment that is healthy and where they can grow and develop, and is going to be that leader that leads through their example and kind of does the iron mic and says, follow me and uh, I'll show you what right looks like, you know. Because the minute, you know, people aren't empowered and they all of a sudden their initiative gets stifled and everything, uh, you said it perfectly, you know, you don't want to be a part of that. Now it's not fun anymore. Now it's okay. Now I just want to come to work, get the job done and go home. And, and that can be very uh, infectious across the organization, which can affect uh, performance, certainly morale, but the overall performance in the organization. And the worst part is a leader may be aloof to this kind of stuff. I think as a leader, you've got you've to be have a 360 vision to be able to see what's going on in your organization. And you certainly have to be open to criticism if things aren't going right, you know? You know, some time ago, not that long ago, I was someone who 
might leave people, not might, I did leave people disempowered. And someone I trusted said to me, you know, you have the power to lift a room up or take it down. And I knew she was speaking directly to me. And I thought to myself, I do not want to be the one to take a room out. I would much rather be the person to lift a room up. But before I got that, I could make a difference. I had to get that the things that I was saying had an impact on people. Yeah. And I didn't realize that who I was had an impact on other people. But once I got that, I thought, wow, it, I am someone who people, you know, are listening to whether whatever way I show up that they're listening and, and people are always listening to other people. And, uh, yeah, it was like that moment. I was like, I don't ever want to take another person out or a whole room down. Like that is not, that is not okay. But it wasn't until someone said that to me that I really got it. A, a great example for this is, uh, think about when, uh, you have to go to the hospital for something, whatever it is, uh, a routine appointment or something. The minute you walk through the doors of that hospital, it's almost demotivating as you go in there because, um, you know, especially as you get older, you know, people like me were, don't like to go to the hospital. And I don't like to go in and see a doctor for fear that they may tell me something that I don't want to hear. So it's almost that, uh, the environment inside the hospital, certainly the staff is very professional generally and everything, but for the people that are going in there that are going to be patients, um, their shoulders are kind of down, their head is down, and, and they're not paying attention to things. They just want to go in and get through with that so they can get out of this hospital. If there's an environment in an organization like that, um, I will tell you that that organization is probably not operating at peak efficiency. And so like I said, initially, the key thing that got me to want to be a part of the military is seeing those people with their heads up, shoulders back, confident, proud, and, uh, and ready to go out and take on any mission. I love it. So, you know, this whole conversation is really about selfless service. Absolutely. And I so, so get that that is who you are. And it's just evident, you know, I didn't have to say this is what this conversation is about. It's just so embedded in you naturally. And it's, it's like I can see that even before you joined, you saw your brother had something and you hadn't seen it before, but whatever that was, you wanted some of it. Wow. Just really powerful. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, the thing about uh, our profession, the United States military, and being a member of this warrior class is selfless service is our watchword. And it's about taking care of others before we take care of ourselves, you know. And, uh, you know, even, you know, the mission it will come before us. The people that we lead come before us. And unfortunately, um, the mission will come before our families because we are so focused on that mission and being selfless as a military person and leader. And which is why balance is so important in terms of duty and family. Um, 
because uh, because we live this selfless life. At a certain point, you got to give back. And so I think a good balance in our operational tempo on how we do business is good. But certainly as a leader, you know, and some people think the key thing about uh, being a leader and being selfless is leaders eat last, you know, the soldiers eat. That is a microcosm of how important being selfless is. Selfless means that the satisfaction I as a leader am gonna get out of my job is seeing the people that work for me reach their untapped potential, grow and develop and become something that they never thought they could be. That's the gratification a leader should be looking for, not the personal gratification that may come from an accolade, a promotion or an award that you may get. And uh, sometimes I see leaders, senior leaders that are truly focused on how they're, they're, what award they're gonna get when their tour's over and what their evaluation's gonna look like more so than what they're doing to prepare the future, those people that are working for them. And uh, I think being selfless means the gratification you get is watching them grow and develop. Absolutely, 100%. And that's, you know, if you look up how the Army defines selfless service, that is like exactly it. You know, it's just, it, it's such a sense of fulfillment. Coming to work every day is like play. It's like, it's like it's the weekend for me. It doesn't differ. You know, my weekends are mine mostly, but they're, they can even be a little dull, you know? Yeah. And Monday morning rolls around and I come in, you know, smiling and saying good morning, but it, it doesn't end Monday through Friday for me and my weeks just fly by. I just love getting to be here. There's such a sense of fulfillment getting to work with soldiers. Yeah. You know, I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, I was uh, uh, at a recruiting station not long ago, participating in an event and doing some leader seminars. And uh, it was interesting, one of the uh, NCOs there, and I said, hey, how's your environment and everything? And then he was speaking about one of his uh, um, higher leaders. And he said, well, I don't know that I could, uh, you know, emulate this person because and he used the phrase, they speak in memorandum. So what he was saying was, is that the leader, when they would talk to him, it was kind of canned kind of talk that they were giving them, uh, somewhat rehearsed and somewhat without energy that would be more of putting them to sleep than inspiring them. So I've kind of stolen that from this NCO, you know, I never heard that in my 38 year career, but you know, this was only a couple months ago when I heard it from this phenomenal NCO. So a leader can't speak in memorandum and can't speak by regulations. It has to come from the heart and it has to come from your experience and it has to have something that will deliver the message to the subordinates that will hit them right here in the heart or as we say in the fields where they will, uh, you know, want to go out and just conquer the world or or do something spectacular with their life. And seeing that is a bigger reward or award than anything, any medal that anybody could put on my chest was seeing people reach that kind of goals that they were going after and being able to excel and grow. Um, 
and there's nothing there's nothing that replaces that feeling when a leader is executing selfless service yeah it really is you know it just leaves you like you keep saying it just leaves you inspired yeah yeah absolutely john i want to thank you so much for being here with us today thank you for your service and uh uh, you know, I'm just proud to continue to give back and be a part of anything to help our, our men and women in the military, their families, and our veterans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to reach 38 years. You know, people are, I'm at, I'm at 17, and people are like, oh, three years left. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I have no intention on retiring. Like, I love it here. There's a difference I'm out to make. I'm not sure when the day will come, but you know, it's just, I love it. Thank you for tuning into the Words We Live By podcast. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Saxon. Sierra Starks is our producer, and this podcast is sponsored by the Seattle Army Recruiting Battalion. Do us a quick favor and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a moment of season two. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us at Go Army Seattle and let's connect about all the amazing opportunities the U.S. Army has to offer.